Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james, netsuite.com slash james netsuite.com slash james this isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host this is the james altucher show today on the james altucher show for instance the the best uh, reason to write a book is that you have to do it. Like you can't not do it. And so if someone can convince you not to do it because of the following reasons, then they've actually done you a huge favor because you were never cut out for it in the first place. Which, by the way, is good advice for anything. So it's like, let's just have a really good idea for a book that's like needs to exist. And if it doesn't exist, the world will be a worse place. And I know people think that their idea is that, but I promise you it almost certainly is not that yet because you haven't done the work. I think there's been a couple of articles in the past few years that you've written and that I've written the opposite. Okay. Of one, I think one might have been on writing a book. Yes. And one was on don't start. You you wrote whatever you do, don't start a podcast. And then I said whatever you do, start a podcast. Yeah. So and we didn't. It's not like it was like an angry set of articles, but like because you had great points, which is that 
I, I will tell you, like, this is a very successful podcast. It is not going to make uh, a podcast is not going to make anyone rich. I think maybe Joe Rogan's got the only wealthy podcast out there. Um, so you make good points. And I think also most people don't realize that there's a, a, a craft and a skill to doing a podcast and doing it well. And that's not so easy. But, uh, you know, I still I think there's there's many good reasons to do one as well. Yeah, there are good reasons. I just I I sort of have this instinctive reaction against people who do things because everyone else is doing them. Do you know what I mean? Like I love stand-up comedy, which is why I would never do stand-up comedy because I I don't I I don't have the bandwidth or the interest to like de actually dedicate myself to what I think that craft deserves. And so I hate when people do that to the thing that I have dedicated myself to. So, you know, I hate when people th think of a like I wrote this article like several years ago about how books are uh, a bit a business card, and I deeply regret it because it's filled the world with shitty books that shouldn't exist. I wrote that too. That books are like a business card. Yeah. But there's a point which is that um, if you're, let's say, you're Procter and Gamble, and you're deciding on a speaker for your next executive retreat, and and all you know is you have two choices, and all you know is one of the choices wrote a book, the other didn't. You pick yeah. the person who wrote. A book. Yes. So a book's like an event more yeah. than, but, no, but, I, I but in terms of the craft, I agree with you. It's still hard to write a book. So from a cold business logic, I totally get it and I've taken advantage of it myself. On the other hand, the book that the person made so they could get picked as a speaker by Procter & Gamble, I can bet you is dog shit, right? Like it's not worth reading. Um, and, and so that's sort of what I'm reacting against. Like. Like for instance, podcasts, great networking tool. You're going to meet all these people and have long extent. Okay, sure, but that's a shitty reason to do a podcast because if if your goal is to make something good for listeners, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean you kind of have to have all the reasons. Yeah. Like like you want to always, you know, mid conversation. I'm always cognizant of is this providing value? To, is the person listening to this going to say? You know, there were some parts of this conversation I really needed to share with my friend or cousin or whatever. But the other thing is, right on this very stage last week, I hung out with the Fonz for this podcast. Yeah. And that was great. Sure. Um, so there's, there's both reasons. Although it's, it's like I've been on a lot of podcasts and it's amazing how many people just have like this printed list of questions and they're just bad interviewers. There's no yeah. It's like a get rich quick scheme. They're like, oh, somebody did it, and they got famous and successful for it. So I just have to follow their exact playbook, and then I will get the same results. And it's it's not going to happen. And so those specifically, those are the people I'm discouraging. And it, it's sort of like you know, in Fight Club, it's like they're telling you to go away uh, to see if you'll go away, and the ones that stay for three days. It's so in some ways, it, like when I'm saying. When I'm saying don't start a podcast or don't do a book, it's like, like for instance, the, the best uh, reason to write a book is that you have to do it. Like you can't not do it. And so if someone can convince you not to do it because of the following reasons, then they've actually done you a huge favor because you were never cut out for it in the first place. Which, by place. the way, is good advice for, for anything. Yeah, like, you know, Amazon and Zappos, they'll like pay you to quit. Right uh, after ninety days, if you get a job at like working the phones at Amazon or, or or Zappos, they'll you know at the end they'll go like okay, so three months' pay would be however much. We'll give you that if you leave right now, um, because if you take the money, you weren't going to be a good. They're actually saving themselves money in the long term of having to replace you, 
And so it's like, if, I can con if you can convince yourself not to write a book or not to do this thing or not to move over here, then take the money and run. Do you know what I mean? Because you're not cut out for it. You know, I was thinking this a lot last year because I, not only did I not write a book last year, I didn't feel like writing a book. It's like the first year Which is a great years. reason not to write right. a book. So, so, I, so I didn't write one, and, uh, but I did think a lot about, okay, where am I heading? You know, what, what is, you know, things change so much. You do have to think a little bit about what is the medium that people... Are at you want to? I agree with you. You can't always go to what's hot, but the flip side is you want to skate to where the puck is going. Sure, sure. So, you know, I didn't feel like I don't know writing a book would satisfy anything for me creatively last year, and I didn't have anything to write about specifically. And I was enjoying the, the like you said, c coming up on this stage and writing a book could be read by a million people. On this stage, there's like a hundred people in the audience. So it's a much smaller audience, but it was terrifying to me. Like I would come up when you're getting better for it, you're improving and and so I think that's totally worth doing. I mean, it like, was like hard work. Yes. So like instead of I, I could spend 12 hours doing this instead of writing a book on a day preparing for this. But see, that's why I was thinking I think on for your next book you should think much bigger and it should be worth that investment. It should take longer. Um like for if if I could sort of wave a magic wand and in a year from now give you a choose yourself level transformative book about a different topic, that would be a huge sort of improvement for you. And what you're, that would be interesting. It would open up new avenues. You'd have a new, new people in your audience. It would make money. You'd be excited about all, all that stuff. And so I think instead of just trying to sort of churn out another book, I'd think bigger. And then while you're thinking bigger, do other things that you like that are getting you excited. I think there's also some benefit to just doing nothing. Sure. Like, you know, everybody thinks, oh, I've got a, what's the next step or what's my purpose in life? And there's really, you know, there's really no such thing. And uh, no, it's not your like main, your in a main book purpose somewhere. as an animal is to not die and to have children. Those are your main purposes as an animal, right? And that's what your genes are here to do. Like, I have. Uh, I have these uh, two donkeys. Uh, I live on a farm, and, and sometimes I'll go out there. And my donkey. This is a metaphor for children. Yes. Uh, I also I also have a, a kid, but uh, so the, the donkeys are just standing. There. They just stand there, and sometimes they'll stand there for like hours. They won't do anything. They're standing there, and so at first I thought this was funny, you know, and then I realized that they're doing their job. Like their job is just to stand. Like as long as they don't die, that's like a good day as a donkey. You know what I mean? Um, and, and why is it somehow like a human's not an animal? Like it's not the same thing, you know? Um, and my therapist said to me once, she said, you know, it's human being, not human doing for a reason. But we somehow think that we have to be doing and making and creating and earning and winning. Or if we don't, we're somehow like... Uh, and yet I look at your career, though. You've had a career of... Like, how old are you? You're... 31. You, you, like, and so I've known you since you were like... 23, 24, something. So you've had this career of steady, continual improvement where you know, you're writing more and more interesting books. I'm not, I'm not saying one book's better than the other, but like you're, you're definitely increasing your breadth of books. And, and more and more people are aware of your impact. You're, you become like this millennial you know, 
a lot of people want kind of the arc of career that you're creating for yourself. And it seems like you've been able to do that very instinctively. Like what were sort of the problems along the way? Like, it seems like almost um, yeah. too easy. No, it was definitely not easy, but I mean, there were, there were many, many lucky breaks al along the way, certainly. I think, like, I think through brute force, I could have gotten where I, I have gotten eventually, but the fact that I got to you know, publish my first book by 25 instead of 35, that, that was like the main, the main lucky break. I don't think that was a lucky break. At that point, you had already worked for Robert Greene, Tim Ferriss, Tucker Max, and then director of marketing at American Apparel. It was sort of like a natural thing. It would be almost impossible for you to not write a book at that point. Yeah, sure, but I'm just saying like uh, those things that those those things could have happened over a longer period of time. Like there were chance meetings that allowed that to all happen quicker than maybe it would have normally happened for a different person. So I I sort of try to bear that in mind. But I don't know. I mean, part of it was I've always had this sort of deep compulsion. So like work, 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 and actually, ironically, I'm now working on sort of not being that, right? Like because again, it's not sustainable to write eight books in six years. Like you just can't do it. You can't do that. You'll die. You'll just keel over and die. Or the quality. It's not sustainable that the quality of work would continue to increase. At some point, you would plateau. And so I've been trying to sort of. Be much more conscious about what I'm doing, and so 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 in in some ways, it's like uh, oftentimes I feel like whatever our main strength is uh, is also can also be a profound weakness for us, right? So for for me, that sort of intensity can be a problem. For for Donald Trump, his Donald Trump's main success, main strength, and I actually mean his main strength is shamelessness, right? That's his main strength, like. To get up, so in the second debate, like five days before the debate, the, the, the Access Hollywood tape leaks, right? You or I, if someone, let's say you had said that horrible shit, and then you got caught, and the whole world knew about it, I would probably kill myself, right? I would, I would cry. Yeah, I would, I would cry, and then I would probably kill myself, and then I would obviously drop out of the presidential race and then never be seen from publicly again if I didn't kill myself. Donald Trump got up in front of like 70 million people or however many people watched the debate and he was like, oh yeah, it's locker room talk. Like he, his strength was that he could say that with a straight face, right? Like that he could say complete and utter bullshit in front of millions of people when he should have been churning with self-loathing and embarrassment and humiliation. That's his main strength, right? Like every day Donald Trump wakes up and he has to be Donald Trump, and he continues to wake up, right? Like that's really, that, that's, that's I couldn't do that's that. That's a funny bit. I couldn't do that. I would definitely, again, definitely kill myself if, <laughs> if I traded places with it. Like, like, how many nights could you walk around the White House in a bathrobe, your wife living hundreds of miles away, and you're like texting Sean Hannity for validation? You know what I mean? That's like the worst life I could possibly imagine. So he does that. So, but again, this is also his profound weakness and why he's always in trouble. And it, people are like, why can't he just be president and not tweet? Well, because he doesn't, if you're a shameless person, the person who can get up on stage and, and describe that tape as locker room talk is the person who doesn't get that calling a black woman on Twitter a dog is a bad idea, right? Like, so often, again, the long way of saying, often our strengths are our weaknesses. And so like for you, I, if I was like, what's James? 
you have a, I was saying this when I was talking to the cameras earlier, is like, you have this compulsive, you can't not be in front of an audience, right? Like, you have to be writing, podcasting, and Here. then, and then when, I, when I heard you were doing comedy, I was like, oh yeah, sure. James isn't writing for millions of people. He has to get in front of a room of 50 people every night for $10. Like, that's James, right? And $10, that, that would be a lot compared to try, try negative hundreds of dollars. <laughs> so so, so you, what makes you so good is that you are always, you always want to be communicating. You always have something to say, but left unchecked, that eventually would get you in trouble in some way too, right? And so I think it's interesting that you're, you know, you're talking about like being more conscious about what you make and don't make. And so I, I think that's what we're all doing. We're all struggling with whatever, like with, with whatever thing we got from our childhood is both like uh, strength and our weakness. So, so you're, you're, when it's this started, you're about to apply it to yourself. Like what's your strength that's also your weakness? I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of very intense and I can do, like I can be writing two books at the same time and running a company and having a farm and I can do all these things. And then, you know, my wife will be like, I can't, like, this is horrible. Like, this is good for you, but it's literally torture for me, you know? So I think one of the, I, I, can, I can sort of just, dr I can drive other people into the ground. I just work them to the point where they, they're like, this is the worst thing in the world, I hate you, you know? And, and I can, eventually, I, there's also times that I do that to myself too. So I, I, I have trouble turning it off. So what's, what's the weakness there? Because so far, so good, it's worked well for you. Now, yes, you're, you but, can say... But like, let's, say I've, let's say I'd just done one book. Like, let's say I'd just done The Obstacles the Way. I'd been more patient, more deliberate. That book would probably be better, right? Um, I don't know. That was a good I, book. I, I, but I think it would be better. I, I pushed it. I, I think it would be better. And, and the six, instead of... So I've sold like a million and a half books. But if I'd sold one, if I'd sold a million and a half copies of one book, I'd be one... You know, that, that, would, be, that would be a substantially different sort of kind of impact than having it spread out over these different books, for instance. So I have trouble sort of strategically focusing and being disciplined. I, okay, here, here's an example of, of how it turns into a weakness. I have an Apple Watch and I have like a calorie goal that I'm supposed to hit in terms of exercise every day. It's like a thousand calories uh, of, of movement in every day. Um, and so uh, this is maybe like in March or April, uh, for whatever reason, I'd been working and traveling a lot, and so I, so it was like I had seven days in a row, then I had 14 days in a row. I ended up doing like 35 days in a row of hitting this thing without any rest. And so like in a weird way, stopping on the 36th day was way harder for me than doing the third, do you know what I mean? Like it was actually harder for me to be disciplined about self-discipline than it was to just like keep doing this thing infinitely, right? And so, on the 35th day that I stopped, it's not like I got an award, right? I actually got mono. Like I just wore my whole body out and then I got sick and I was like out of commission for like two months. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's not good to be uh, so intense. It causes problems. So let me just ask, let me just ask people here, what's, can, can people identify, like what's, what's your strength that might be a weakness? As far as weakness was procrastination, time management, that type of thing, which 
I don't know if can be construed as a strength. I don't know if it ever works out. Maybe people can relate to it, so that can be helpful in sales or other ways. But the first thing I thought was is I'm terrible at time management. But okay, so now make it. I, I think that the reverse holds true too, which is that weaknesses can be turned into strengths. So I think I'll, I'll give I'll give you a good example. So I was just watching, uh, and it's worth you know the the meme of Michael Jordan crying. No. You've never seen this? No, no. So this is, comes from when he gave his Hall of Fame speech. Uh, social media? Yes, yes. It's on the interwebs. Um, but when, when Michael Jordan gave his Hall of Fame speech in 2009, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, he said that originally his plan was to go up on stage and be like, thanks, uh, I appreciate it. Instead, he decided to give a speech. And so his speech, this is the most successful basketball player of all time, the crowning achievement of his life. And he gets up and he lists basically every slight that he's ever received in his life and then says like, I just want you to know that you were wrong. Like he brings up the guy who got cut or who he got cut to make room for on his high school basketball team. He, he mentions that his college coach didn't mention him in a Sports Illustrated article when he was in college. He even, he even complains at the event about how expensive it was to buy tickets for his whole family to attend the event and how it used to be cheaper. And basically, it's a real window into Michael Jordan's soul, which is that Michael Jordan would, looks for things to make him angry, like he looks for slights, and then that fuels his competitiveness and he has to beat or, or humiliate or dominate that person for doing that thing to him. Okay, and but so that's his strength, it's why he's so great. But then also he can't enjoy the greatest moment of his life without, it's like he keeps the scabs raw because he uses them, but then he's just like bleeding all the time. He's just always angry. Uh, even though he owns a billion dollar shoe company, he's sitting there complaining about how at one time in like the early 90s, the, the owner of the Bulls said, said organizations win championships. Right? What he meant was that it was a team effort. And Michael Jordan is like, no, I win the championships. How could you? He's like, and he's actually mad at his crowning achievement event that the owner was invited. Like, that's a horrible way to live, right? That, that's not, success at that level should not mean that you can't even enjoy a banquet being thrown in your honor. Yeah, although, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll start to wrap this up and go into Q&A, but... And we've even, I've even asked you advice on this several years ago. One time there was a series of articles that were disparaging to me, and it's hard not to take it personally. You know, so Michael Jordan sure. obviously took these things personally, but it's hard. It's like you almost need like a ratio of like a thousand to one, like a thousand good things, you know, to match the one bad thing, even if the one bad thing is so stupid and irrational. So I kind of get where he's coming from. It's not necessarily that. He used that to drive his competitiveness. It's just he really hated those people who... No, no, but he says it. He's like, every time you did this to me, it was like a log on the fire for me. And so it, he was seeking, he was actively seeking out slights and aggravations to motivate himself, which it's great. It clearly worked. But then the problem is you can't turn it off. And that's, again, that's not how you want to live. That, that might be how you want to be on the basketball court, but it's not how you want to be as a person. And Maybe so there's that's a the fear. Balance. Maybe there's a fear that if you, if you, this is my strength, you say, but if I also try to turn, if I also realize it's a weakness, so I want to try to ba balance my life or turn it off sometimes, maybe I'm going to lose that edge. 
Well, like, so for me, it's like, okay, if my talent is that I'm very intense and focused and I try to get great at everything, what that means is I take something like a hobby, like running, and then I turn it into a fucking unpaid job, right? And then I s- squeeze the fun out of it. And then now I just have this other thing, new thing on my to-do list. And again, that's like, that's a strength. That's why I'm good at what I do professionally. But if left unchecked, it might make me unhappy personally. And I think that's the balance. So over this next year or two, what's, uh, I don't like to think in terms of goals because every day you learn something new and that always can shift the directions you go. But where do you see yourself uh, a year from now? I just want to be a better writer. Like I just want to be a better writer and I want to be more sort of balanced and even killed as a human being. So, so you find the craft that you love and just each day, whether you write or not or whether you publish or not, each day you figure out how to get a little better at it. Yeah, because that, yes, exactly. And, and what's nice about that is it's not tied to any external things, right? Like... I can be a better writer whether I sell a thousand copies that day or zero copies, whether I'm in the New York Times or savaged in the New York Times, right? Like it, it's I, I totally like how, dependent on me. Well, uh, first off, I like the advice you gave me when when I wrote "Choose Yourself." You, I forget if you said you could choose one out of three or two out of three, but you were very smart. You said you could either choose. We were talking about goals for the book, and you said you could either choose the New York Times bestseller list, or you could choose number of copies sold, or you could choose money. And making the most money from the project. Right. And, and I think that's, that's, I think people often don't, they, they start a passion or they start something and they, they, they get confused about the outcomes. They don't really know, because not that you have to have an outcome, but you have to have a vague understanding of what the options are to know which direction you're going to pursue. And, and making sure that the outcome that you're seeking is not some sort of egotistical thing. So it's like, People, people go like, well, I want to be in the New York Times as a, with a book because they think that means they'll sell a lot of copies. But in fact, they're just choosing like this gatekeeper saying you're okay at the expense of actually reaching lots of people often. So it's like you got you to gotta know the space that you're in really well. And this was a marketing strategy we worked out for Choose Yourself. We specifically avoided the bestseller list, although it did hit uh, the Wall Street Journal one and the USA Today one, we avoided uh, the money question and we just focused on number of sales, even offering to pay people back in the first three months if they didn't like the book, which no one's ever really done before because uh, no publisher, no mainstream publisher would ever agree to that, but I had the opportunity to, to offer that. Yeah, and look, you ended up reaching 10 times the amount of people that even you know, a typical author would dream of being able to reach. And, and isn't that why you wrote the book? Do you know what I mean? Like, you didn't write the book to get a good New York Times review and then sell 700 copies. You wanted to sell 700,000 copies or and a million then, copies. And then I like the, we, your whole thing was, okay, six months in advance, you should be thinking of your marketing events. Like, what are you going to do from a marketing perspective? Not what are you going to advertise that's within the book, because no one's read the book yet. You have, to, you have to kind of do something in the real world that will attract attention. And so one thing I did, I forgot who came up with the idea, or maybe it was a combination, but I built a store that only accepted Bitcoin and only sold one item, which was yeah. Choose Yourself. And so I sold a bunch of copies in this, in this Bitcoin-only store. I think you store. sold like three copies. No, no, I sold, I sold, I'll tell you exactly, I, told, I sold about 61 or 62 okay. for 0.1 Huge Bitcoin. Huge numbers, yes. Yeah, a PDF. Yeah. So which now it's like $600 for a PDF of Choose Yourself in, in today's yeah. prices. At that point, it was like $5. Uh, 
Um, and I remember uh, I, I made the announcement that I'm doing, I was the best-selling Bitcoin only author in history. <laughs> and, and CNBC asked me to go on and talk about it and talk about Bitcoin. And Herb Greenberg, who's, who's kind of a natural skeptic, he was the anchor and he asked me, did you just do this for publicity? And I said, well, I'm on national television right now, so it totally yeah. worked. And <laughs> he acknowledged that and it did work. But um, I, I, this is gonna, I wanna open it up now for Q&A for both of us. And uh, this is all still part of the podcast. So Jay, this is still part of the podcast. Okay. So, Jay, you choose who answers questions. Check. All right. Um, it's so cool being here. Uh, it's, it's weird. You know, I feel like I'm friends with both of you, even though you don't know who I am. Uh, I, that sounds scary. We're not friends. I joined, I joined your, your, your self-publishing <laughs> course. Oh, good. And, and I'm very aware that we're not friends, but I feel like I've heard, I've, I mean, I've read your books, I've just heard your voice in the car for years, and it's like... I'm always in the backseat. Right. And when I'm in the car, I always Turn chime left. in. I feel like I'm a part of the conversation. I felt there were so many times I'm like, yeah, you know, had to back off a little bit. But I'm in your self-publishing course. Thank you for that. Um, and uh, you... You're, you're welcome. I just want to add, self-publishing, you know, you always go with a mainstream publisher, and I respect it, and I know why. And it's, it's, you have a great relationship with your agents, your publishers. Most people don't get that kind of relationship because... For, for many reasons, there's a whole spectrum of reasons. But when you self-publish, yes, there's more opportunities. It's not even so much so clear to me that self-published books are on average even worse than mainstream published books because someone did a study on the, the star rankings on Amazon and actually the self-published books were ranked higher. In I mean, most stars. books are bad across the board. So the idea that self-published versus traditional books, the, the majority of them are gonna be bad. It's just really hard to do a good book, and so they're just rare, period. And I think a traditional publisher gets you in, for you only, and for a few other people, gets you in the airport bookstores, gets you in more bookstores, which is what a traditional publisher could do, but doesn't do it for most authors. So you might as well self-publish and get 100% of the profits instead of 15% minus your agent's cut. Yeah, I mean, although I think it depends, right? You're, the, the thing we talked about is, like, is your goal to be in the New York Times? Is it to sell as many copies? Is it to make as much money as possible? And I think depending on where those variables balance out and what the idea for the book is, then, then you make the decision to self-publish or traditional publish. But like, the, too many people think about that bef before they even have a good idea for a book. So it's like, let's just have a really good idea for a book that's like, needs to exist. And if it doesn't exist, the world will be a worse place. And I know people think that their idea is that, but I promise you it almost certainly is not that yet because you haven't done the work. But I like your advice that if you can, if you can convince yourself not to do it, yeah. that's a good test. Yeah. Like if it hasn't been, if, if it's been written before, but just only slightly, like you can't, you can't improve an older product by 5%. Yeah, because people like, nobody this is like, knows the difference. This is like Facebook, but it's for people who live in Utah. It's like that's... It, the fact that you had to say it's like this other thing means that the other thing is like already dominant and good enough. 
Right, it has to be like I, I always feel like it has to be like a five to ten x better yeah. than anything written before. But I'm sorry, I interrupted the question. No, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I always interrupt. <laughs> I know you do. And you, Ryan, we had a couple really small email exchanges, and you helped me uh, get a guest post into Daily Stoic called oh, cool. Stoicism, awesome. Stoicism, and uh, Compassion: A False Dichotomy. And then I don't know if it was you or Brent, but somebody got it into the Observer. Oh, cool. Uh, where it was published as well, and that was probably about a year and a half ago. Congrats. And uh, Thank you, and you've been really encouraging uh, toward my writing, whether you know it or not, and that's what encouraged me to do this course as well. I said, I finally need to finish a work that I know is within me. Um, what I really wanted to bring up, this is not a question, but this is something that, you know, thinking, I know there's a Q&A, let me see, and I stumbled upon this passage that I wanted to tell you about, and this was uh, the simple daily practice chapter, right? And you write... If you think everything would be better off if I were dead, then think, that's really cool. Now I can do anything I want and I can postpone this thought for a while, maybe even a few months, because what does it matter now? The planet might not even be around in a few months. Who knows what could happen with all these solar flares? And it's funny because I just had this conversation with someone earlier today, which is that, you know, at one point, you know, suicide's a horrible thing. And unfortunately, someone I knew... Uh, her husband uh, died over the weekend. Who knows the reason? Could be possibly that. But suicide's a horrible thing because in the beginning, it's like this funnel and you're like a marble in a funnel and you think you have like these huge amount of choices and just get smaller and smaller and smaller until you feel like there's one way out. But for me, once I started actively Googling how to kill myself and figuring out exactly how I wanted to do it, because by the way, most people... Do suicide like amateurs. Like they either, like they either hurt themselves. Like why jump off of a bridge? This is what happens. It seems very terrifying. Why would you want that to be the last moment? Yeah, and it's not only terrifying because like I'm afraid of heights, for instance. It's not only terrifying, but you don't die on the way down magically. You you hit the water. You break every bone in your body, so you can't move, and then you just sink because you can't move and you drown. That's how you die. Right, I'd rather just go on being depressed. That seems so much worse. <laughs> right, and so, so once, once though, once though you, I took that, that literally or metaphorical leap of like really Googling it and researching it, I realized, well, okay, now that I've got it figured out, it cost me nothing to just stay alive one more day and that kept me going for a long time. Yeah, so I'm a social worker. And I was doing therapy with a whole, and obviously a lot of people who with suicidal ideation, there was this one guy who I just could not figure out how to help. And I was doing everything I could. I was reading books. I took like uh, Tony Robbins life coaching program. Like I was doing everything to figure out how do I, how do I reach this guy? And it just seemed like so hopeless. And I start to feel hopeless, which is never good. And uh, he ended up attempting suicide by overdose. Mm. And, uh, I he was in the hospital, and I was I was reading this book at the time, and I came across that passage, and I tried everything. I said, "I'm going to go see this guy in the hospital." I said, "Consider this extra." I said, "Right now, you're supposed to be dead," and it came from this passage, and I never saw him again. And get this: about four months went by, and at the practice I worked at the time, all that showed up was a postcard. That said, I'm okay. Thank you. Hmm. And it was from him. What's your name? Zach. And you know, congratulations to you for really 
taking that extra step, like the, you, you already had the kind of professional training, but then looking towards the Tony Robbins coaching classes, other resources, like really trying to help this patient, I think going that extra mile is what really saves lives and helps people. And I think most people don't, most people want to do their nine to five and go home because they think nine to five is, you know, that's what they're supposed, that's the hours they're supposed to work. But life is 24 hours a day for better or for worse. And so going that extra step's really important. That's what you really did for that man. So, so congratulations on that. Well, and thank you because it was your words that inspired that. Thank you. Thanks. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, Good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1,500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs. I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You, If you hire well, you're going to have a great business. And, you know, thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring. So you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important. And I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. You could try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high-coverage foundation. More popular than soft-launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi. It's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Tim wrote this really good article a, a couple years ago about depression, and there was one thing that I thought about that I think was a good, good argument against suicide. He was like, you actually don't know what's on the other side, and it could be way worse. So let's <laughs> say hell does exist. Let's say there's a one in 50 chance. You're rolling the dice that, that it, what, you, you don't actually know for a fact that whatever is, not only do you not know how much it's going to hurt to break every bone in your body jumping off a bridge, but then what if you're in purgatory forever, right? Like, that, great, you just traded one shitty situation for another situation. So I like the humility of like, look, I don't know what's next, so I'm just going to make the most of uh, whatever I got. I think, and I think if you can think about it, that's a, almost a stoicism approach, yeah. which is that we just simply don't know. We don't know most things. Well, so if someone's a king and another person is a servant, that's just a story we made up. It doesn't actually exist in reality. That's just the story we tell ourselves. Yeah. And, and it's the same thing about death and afterlife and suicide and opportunity and happiness and success. We don't really know what these things mean. Like in your last book, you, you wrote about a billionaire who was so desperately angry, he spent 10 years secretly plotting the demise of someone he should just, he could have just flicked that guy off his pants or whatever. Sure. And he was just obsessively angry. I find, tell me if this is true, I find with most, not with everybody, but with most billionaires that I've encountered, they're either um, extreme, they're, they're, they're either obsessed with anti-aging research because yeah. now they have all this, yeah. <laughs> now they have all this money, they want to live forever, otherwise what's the point? Or they're obsessed with libertarianism because they don't, now they made all this money. They want to make sure no government can take that money away. Yeah, no, and look, I think this is kind of the same. This is the, what made them great is that how they question things and they try to do things differently and they, they have this sense. They have this sense that they deserve a billion dollars. That's how they ended up having a billion dollars. And then ironically, it makes them not that happy when they have a billion dollars. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's very weird. They're, they're not. I've met a handful, and I don't know if I'd trade places with that many of them. Yeah, you know no, I, mean? I remember, um, you know, do you watch the TV show Billions? Yeah, of course. So every, anybody here watch the TV show Billions? So, so this past season, I was an advisor on the show, and I remember thinking there was one part of the script, I don't know if you remember where um, Axe's wife uh, says, you know, 300 million, I don't know if we could live on that. And... Uh, I said, I wrote back to the writer of that particular episode, it's like, I don't, know if, I don't know if somebody would really say that. And he instantly called me, the writer of that particular episode, and said, do not, we, we will decide what she says. Yeah. <laughs> that is not for you, you she, would, she would say that. That's yeah. how we've defined that character. And that's based on our research. They've seen people say that. So of it's sort of, and I know when I first made money, I had... The first, before, I, before the first time I went broke, the reason why I went broke is I made so much money than I could have ever thought imaginable, and yet in my brain, 
I thought I was living below the poverty line. Like I actually thought I was already broke, even though I had millions of dollars. And so I thought I needed 10 times as much to, to actually have money and not be completely about to uh, self-destruct. So of course I self-destructed, you know, because what, what you picture is what you get in some sense. What you, if you buy a Honda Civic, suddenly you see all the Honda Civics on the road. If you say to yourself, oh, I have 10 million, but that's poverty, then well, I'm going to find poverty everywhere. Because you're not comparing yourself to poor people, you're comparing yourself to richer people. And so that's the, that's the misery. You're never going to, you'll never meet, you'll never actually be in a position where you're feeling like you have enough. Yeah, and you, um, uh, you know, there's no way to, we live in this tribal, we're ultimately primates who, who, think we're tribal animals, even though, you know, we've evolved sort of past that. But you're, there, there's always this tendency to put yourself in a hierarchy and compare. And the easiest one to put yourself in is the money hierarchy. Like if somebody has $10 and another person has $9, you think you're less, you know, self-worth becomes conflated with net worth. And, or if you're a tennis player, you, you, you conflate your self-worth with your tennis ranking. You know, we're always kind of desperate to put ourselves in a hierarchy rather than um, I always try to diversify my hierarchies a little bit. So, so if I, let's say I lose money one day investing, I'll come here. Or let's say I bomb here, I'll play a game of chess or write a chapter in a book or whatever. Like it's good to diversify those hierarchies. That's the one thing that humans can do somehow magically. No, I love that. So more... I just want to check the time, make sure we're, we're good on everything. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Hi, I have two questions, one for Ryan, uh, James, one for Ryan. For James, um, I love you, and I think you are one of the best podcasters there, interviewers there, and I enjoy it very much and find it very satisfaction, uh, satisfying. Um, uh, satisfying. The, the drink here is very potent. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> We, so sorry about up, that. We fill up all the alcohol. And, yeah. you, you get your money's worth on the yeah, alcohol. Yeah, so here. you guys were talking about billionaires. So do you have any interest or plan to interview Elon Musk or at least his mother? Um, uh, so that's a question for you and for Ryan. You've been talking about uh, tattoos for, uh, for your book titles. And where are they? So that, these are the two questions. That, that one's easy. They're, they're right here on my arms. Yeah. I, I don't I'm not making it up. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> do you have conspiracy written somewhere? No. What about just, your next book title? Because you still haven't told me what the topic of your next book is. I, I, I'm planning on, on where I, I already have the title, and I'm just I'm just planning where it's going to go. And so, to answer your question on Elon Musk, I actually don't want to interview him. And uh, I've interviewed Ashley Vance, who wrote a, a great book about Elon Musk. Uh, I think it's an excellent biography. And he's very interesting. Uh, I know a lot of people around Elon Musk. And it's funny. I actually have, as Steve, my podcast producer, knows, I have like abnormal, abnormally strict standards for who I want on the podcast. And I'd rather interview Ryan Holiday on the podcast than Elon Musk. So that's, I, I can't really say what those standards are. No, I've interviewed, um, I, I've interviewed over 15 billionaires on the podcast, and some of them are just wonderful, amazing, charitable people. I mean, I've interviewed Sarah Blakely, who uh, started Spanx as the, the most successful self-made female billionaire. 
I was begging my daughters to come to that podcast, but they like didn't want to miss a math class or something in their <laughs> bu- bullshit high school. So, and uh, I interviewed like Ken Langone, who who started Home Depot and created hundreds of thousands of jobs. And also, if you drive around New York City. It's the NYU Langone Medical Center is all the hospitals in New York City are named after him because of his hundreds of millions of dollars in charity. So I've interviewed many amazing, successful people who are worth over a billion dollars who, who are really uh, the kind of people I would like. I, sometimes I interview people and I'm like, boy, I wish I could be friends with them more. But I don't want to, I, I don't really feel like picking up the phone and calling Ken Langone and saying, hey, Ken, Want to grab a coffee today, maybe? <laughs> like, but, uh, but I've interviewed a really nice group of, of, you know, success, again, is not measured in money, but I've, I have interviewed a lot of people who've, who've been worth over a billion, and, and they, they were very good people. So. Thank you. All right, so after these one questions, we, are we going to take one more? Got to make room for dessert, Yeah, he's going to take one first. James, hi. I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of Choose Yourself and Thank your you. podcast, really. I'm actually a doctor. I could have done your IV today because we would do that in the office. Um, but my question I to just, you... I just got a prescription today, too. Really? I, I just want to tell you. Yes. Sorry I didn't interrupt the question. <laughs> We're used to that. <laughs> so I was so proud of myself. Mm-hmm. I had a streak for 32 years. I hadn't gone to a doctor. Oh, wow. And... And put us out of I, business. <laughs> I didn't. I don't have any health insurance. I've never had health insurance, which I guess is against the law. But who cares? And, and, yeah. See, who needs health insurance? It's a scam. But um. But I was. I've. I've been coughing for four straight weeks, and so finally. <laughs> finally, um, I was convinced from a, in a variety of ways that I have to go to a doctor or else. So I went to, an, like I've been to, I've been to psychiatrists and dentists not really doctors, and optometrists, no. <laughs> but I hadn't gone to like an actual just general doctor. And I saw this doctor and he like, you know, listens to the back, listens to the front and you cough. And he's like, okay. And he takes an, uh, no, he didn't take an x-ray. And he's like, okay, yeah, I think you have pneumonia. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like... <laughs> How can you tell, like, don't people die from that? Like one in five people die from that. And how can you, you just wrapped on my chest. And he's like, yeah, I feel like, you know, you're, you're coughing up some stuff. It's probably pneumonia. And so I'm like, and so he prescribes all these things. I go to the pharmacy, get all the drugs, start taking the antibiotics, which apparently once you start taking them, you have to finish to the end or, or your head gets chopped off or something. Something like that. I never understood that logic. Like if a medicine's bad for you, it's not true, you still anyway. <laughs> have to take it to the end. But then I took, I, I had a prescription also to get an x-ray. So I go to NYU Langone Centers, radiology. Never been there, never barely been in a hospital in my life other than to visit someone. <laughs> Which is a mistake, and uh, <laughs> and 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 I get the X-ray, and then all he it's all since it's all done electronically, he sends back this message. Oh, there's abs- I see absolutely nothing on the X-ray. There's no pneumonia. There's no bronchitis. You just have like a cough or whatever. And and then I write back to him. Well, should I be taking these antibiotics then? And he writes back. But this electronic system is so screwed up, I can't 
retrieve my password anymore. So I have no, he responded. I have no idea what he said. You know, so, what you're saying too is just so much about the choose yourself in medicine because that's, that's one of the questions I, I wanted to ask you. About 10 years ago, I published a book about a new therapy I'd helped you know, bring about. And then 10 years went by and I felt deep down there was this other book in me and I'm going through the process of doing self-publishing. So I want to ask you and Ryan, one of the things I do miss though going through self-publishing though is the editing or working with somebody process. And I just was wondering, when you do your books and you self-publish, do you work with like an editor or someone? Because it's, it's sort of like give and take that I, I find, you know, it's one thing when you sit and you're writing and you know, sure. getting stuff out, but have somebody reflect on your writing and say, wow, you know what, maybe you should bring this out or that out. So I'm I mean, look, the, the editor at a publisher is just a salaried employee. I mean, it's just a, it's a skill, right? So you just no, hire someone to edit your book. Yeah. Um, well, I've done that a little bit with Author House, and you get like this, like you know, again, it's almost like your medical experience. You just get these like lines back. Oh, maybe add this well, or that. And for, I miss the the interaction, honestly. For 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 so I've published with many mainstream publishers, traditional publishers, and I've also self-published. The the editors for traditional publishers, I'm not going to disparage any anybody. I was going to, but now I've decided not to. But uh, they. You can hi you can hire great as Ryan said. You can hire great editors. So so for choose yourself, I decided. You know what? I am not going to do the standard bullshit self publishing. And that's what my course is about. Is like how to professionally self publish. So your book, you become a one man publishing company. Now that doesn't mean a lot of extra work. It just means you make sure this book. Nobody could tell the. No one's ever going to ask you. Hey, who published your book? They either read it or they don't. But they, they will notice if you didn't do it professionally. They will notice that the cover was not done professionally. They will notice the interior design was not done professionally. They will notice if you didn't have a line editor, which means grammar. And they will notice if you didn't have a content editor, which means helping you structure the chapters and ask you questions about, you know, you know that are critical to the arc of the book. So for Choose Yourself, Ryan uh, introduced, and Ryan and Tucker Max introduced me to Niels Parker, who was an excellent editor. I don't know if he's still doing editing, but there are a lot of great editors out there, and I would def and there are a lot of great cover designers and interior designers, and I would definitely encourage, really, if you, if you care about the topic, really uh, do it professionally. And I just want to mention, on the subject of, of medicine, I'm, I, I'm this, just, just this one process made me think, and this is related to you saying you got mono, nobody ever looks at why do I have, they say, okay, here, you have a cough or you have pneumonia, here's medicine for it. There's a reason I have like a bad cough right now is I was probably working too hard on something or some stress was happening to me. So it's, it's the real medicine is like thinking about what, what happened. Not that, you, not that everyone's a victim, but because uh, there's an opportunity there for victimizing yourself. But, you know, I was probably a month ago working too hard on something or being stressed out. Right. So much of it, the stress lowers, you know, affects your cortisol, different things. So you kind of run through the right thing, but I'm working on that book. So stay away from it. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll stop writing the choose yourself guide to health, and I'll let, I'll let you write it. <laughs> All right. Are we gonna take one more, one more question? Uh, and I'll just say after this question, it's not that the show's over. We'll take a networking break, get to know each other, step outside, smoke a cigarette uh, against the doctor's orders. Um, and then comedy show starts at eight o'clock. It's gonna be 
awesome. We've organized a really great lineup, and I'm emceeing. Plus, I might do an occasional joke, but we'll see. <laughs> and that starts at eight o'clock on the dot. And it's about seven twenty-five now. But next question, Jay. All right, one more question. Uh, Jay, you have the power. Yeah, I know. This is, like, this is like Lord of the Rings, and that's the ring. <laughs> a question for James. You've spoken about your idea pads, right? So is this something you're still doing, or you were just before? Yeah. Um, so the, I, the, the thing she asked about is, starting around 2002, I walked into a restaurant supply store on Bowery and Houston, and I bought like this box of 100 waiter's pads for $10. And every day, I would write down... 10 ideas a day. And there would be ideas for businesses, ideas for books, ideas for someone else. Like I would write ideas to Amazon about self-publishing. And the result was Amazon asked me to fly out to Seattle and they gave me a tour of their, all their self-publishing divisions. And I wrote 10 ideas for LinkedIn. I got, flew out to LinkedIn. And it's created a lot of exciting opportunities for me. And I do do this every day. So so today, for instance, on my waiter's pad, and I, I did this at the challenge of, I think, someone who's in the audience, but uh, I wrote 10 ideas for master classes that I could teach. So, so the person I was, who suggested this list idea for me, he threw out, I should put in cooking as a good master class. And I said, I, don't, I, have, I have cooked once since I was 22, and it was on... Valentine's Day, and I had just moved into this apartment after living in Airbnbs for two and a half years, and I didn't realize that the previous person who lived there a year earlier had left this giant puddle of grease in the oven. So I put the salmon in the oven, turn it on, and it blows up on like Valentine's Day. So there's like fire and smoke like coming out of my apartment, and you know, my girlfriend was like, what is going on here? Like, you're supposed to be cooking dinner. And my neighbor uh, said, why don't you guys come over and cook at, in, in the oven I have? Like, you know, sorry this happened to you. But I felt a little weird about that, like going to some guy's apartment on Valentine's Day with my girlfriend and using his oven. I don't know, something seemed weirdly sexually off. I don't know. But... Uh, but yeah, so I do the list of, that was a tangent, I, I do this like, list of 10 ideas every day because again, the, the idea muscle atrophies if you don't use it. And people say ideas are a dime a dozen. That's a, a fine cliche, but it's still really hard. You have to have a strong working idea muscle to come up with one good idea. And, and execution is everything, but execution ideas are lists of ideas. So, and that's what I was going to say. It was like to ideate that I'm good at, but what in retrospect now, how do you feel like, like which of the, how do you come to the, the um, decision of what ideas to actually execute on? Um, very few, now again, back. the purpose of writing the 10 ideas is solely to exercise the idea muscle. So that when, because you're not going to come up with 3,650 good ideas a year, you're going to come up with one. And often I'll come up with an idea like, um, I came up with this idea uh, a few months ago, and uh, I was, I was, my list of ideas was what would be good apps. And 
I had this idea for an app that I thought was a decent idea. It was called the Going Steady app. That's what I was calling it. And what it does is you and your boyfriend, once you decide, I'm talking about you specifically, once you decide to go, once you decide to go steady, go steady, which is like this high school term, but now we can bring it into the social media age. It, you, you, install, you both install the Going Steady app, you link to each other, and it wipes out all your other dating apps. And it informs the other person of any change relating to dating on your phone. And so I thought that was a decent idea. So the very next day, I come up with 10 execu simple execution ideas. Like here's what the home screen would look like. Here's what would happen when you, what would it look like when you sign up. Here's what the apps are that I would be on the lookout for. And, and then I'm going to try freelancer.com or Fiverr. I'm going to spec out. Uh, the app, which is very, it took like a paragraph or two, and I'm going to post. So the, that whole process of execution ideas and actually posting on freelancer.com to find a programmer took me about 10 minutes. And they all, I, I got like 100 responses. And the one question I had was, is can a phone, can both an Android and an iPhone see what other apps are on the phone. That's the critical thing. You have to be able to see if Tinder is on the phone from the Going Steady app. And I guess iPhone can, but Android can't. So my what I thought was a good idea instantly became a zero idea. But the whole process took me ten minutes. You know, and 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 I test out. Did you have a, Did you have a name for this? Yeah, the Going Steady app. <laughs> yeah, and and the whole idea though, I I test out like dozens of ideas like that every year. I did one the other day, um, but I have early onset Alzheimer's and I can't remember what it is. And, then, and it had the same problem. Oh, I wanted an app that would... I, people don't send email anymore, which is really frustrating to me. Someone says, oh, I sent you a message, why didn't you respond? And it's like, did you send me a text message, an Instagram message, a LinkedIn message, a Facebook message, a Snapchat message, an email? So I wanted to find one platform to collect all my messages, and such a thing doesn't exist. Um, but it turns out there's reasons why such a thing doesn't exist, because there's no, it's hard for every phone to send text messages. Anyway, it's hard for software to read your text messages and, and so on. And Instagram doesn't release the, the, your messages either in their application programming interface. But anyway, I test out lots of ideas by coming up with lists of execution ideas. So anyway, thank you all very much. Thank you, Ryan. I just want to say, Ryan, day one, this is the fifth year anniversary of publishing Choose Yourself. Ryan was there from the beginning. It was an amazing journey, and, and we got to know each other re real well. Plus, he was, the again, the first producer of this podcast, so he also helped me launch this podcast, and we've been friends for a long time, so it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. And, uh, and don't forget, at 8 o'clock, come back. It's going to be a great comedy show, and your ticket covers the comedy show. Don't and let at, them charge you again. And at 9.15, there's a dessert. And at 9.15, <laughs> there's a flambe being cooked in our... Wolfgang Puck is back downstairs in the kitchen cooking an excellent flambe dessert. See, my voice is cracking. And... Uh, uh, Stick around for the 915 dessert. So thanks very much. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.